You are listening to DG Talks, a podcast brought to you by Delta Gamma. Each month, the Delta Gamma host will speak on a different topic, covering a wide range of interests for our sisters. We look forward to engaging with you on social media about other topics you would like to hear, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, y'all. My name is Claire McConnell, and I am a part of PCO9 from the Alpha Iota chapter at the University of Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner. I am here to talk to you today about my sports blog and college football. So first of all, I'm going to tell you who I am and why I'm the one telling you about college football. Like I said, my name is Claire and I run a sports blog called the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports. My aunt, uncle, father, and brother all went to OU, so I am sooner born and sooner bred. And my dad did a wonderful job brainwashing me from a very young age. The first quote-unquote potty word I was allowed to say was Texas sucks at the age of four and only in the Cotton Bowl on one day a year every October. Sports has always been a huge part of my life, although in high school I was mostly about soccer and track. Track and field basically became my life when I went to run for the University of Oklahoma all four years. I made NCAAs one year and still hold the pentathlon record at OU to this day. My events, the heptathlon and pentathlon, are the most complicated to understand in the entire sport of athletics, so I was very used to explaining myself and my event to people. As a track athlete, I got way too into the Olympics and loved watching and learning about the less popular sports as well. I now work for a golf agency in Dallas, Texas, so as you can see, sports are a huge part of my life and always have been. Due to my background, I would say my passions and my strongest knowledge base lies in college football, golf, and Olympic sports. I decided to start a sports blog when I went to work for Wells Fargo in the oil and gas group after I graduated. Oil and gas and finance are both male-dominated work industries, and I found that I was one of the only women who could talk football with the boys. As a way to gain exposure throughout the company, I used to send out a football email of games to watch every week. And over my four years working there, my email gained so much traction that suddenly men from other departments were asking me for it. That gave me the idea to start the blog. But I wanted to make it for women when they didn't want to ask the men in their lives their questions about sports. I wanted the Girlfriend's Guide to be just that a guide to the rules of the different sports. I have rules of the game, common vocabulary, famous names to know from back in the day and today, and the teams for each sport. If I don't have everything up yet, I will soon. I also like to provide weekly posts on Mondays that keep you up to date with what happened in the sports world over the past week. The idea here being that you would go to the office and know what men were talking about around the water cooler. My favorite part of the blog, though, is the dumb questions you don't want to ask your boyfriend page. In truth, there are tons of little nuances in sports, and I wanted to give women a safe place to ask them. I call them quote-unquote dumb questions because if you asked your boyfriend, he would most likely roll his eyes at you and look like you're just another dumb girl. I want to eradicate that stereotype. I also try to leave hashtag girlfriend hints throughout my posts and explanations that will make you sound like you know what you're talking about and win you serious girlfriend points. 
Look for some throughout this podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to concentrate on the very basics of college football, things you'll hear in a conversation when talking or watching football, and then my favorite segment, the dumb questions. Keep in mind that this was recorded the week before college football was supposed to start, but thanks to it being 2020 and the prevalence of COVID-19, we have no idea what that football season is going to look like. So bear with me as I am going to start from the very beginning for those listeners who are new to the game of college football. Football is played between two teams of 11 players. I told you I was starting from the beginning. The object of the game is to get the ball into the end zone on the other end of the field. There are four quarters of 15 minutes to play, but your boyfriend will be occupied watching this game for about three and a half hours. There is an offense, the team that has possession of the ball, and a defense on each side of the field. The offense tries to advance the ball by either passing or running, while the defense tries to stop their advance. The offense only has four attempts, called downs, to get 10 yards, or they forfeit slash turn over the ball. Scoring can be accomplished by crossing the line at the end of the field, called the end zone, with the ball, giving the team six points. This is called a touchdown. Or you can kick the ball through the goalposts over the crossbar for three points, which is called a field goal. The offense will usually kick a field goal if it's fourth down. They're in range, which for college is about the 30-yard line, and for pro is about the 40. And a touchdown is unlikely. So at least this way your team gets some points on the board. I do want to clarify here that a touchdown is technically only six points. Once a touchdown is scored, then you go for the extra point in what's called a point after touchdown or a PAT attempt. You can e your team can either kick the ball through the goalposts, that'll look like a field goal for one extra point, or they can attempt a two-point conversion, which is obviously worth two extra points, by basically completing a mini touchdown. The offense will get one chance to get into the end zone. After scoring, the offense will kick the ball back to the other team, and they in turn will bring their offense on the field to try and score. In conclusion, the team that scores the most points wins. How it starts. The game starts with a coin toss. The visiting team's captain will get to call heads or tails when the ref tosses the coin. If that call is correct, then the visiting team gets to pick if they would like to be offense or defense first. But on TV, you'll hear this as receive the kick or defer. Then the home team gets to pick which side of the field they want to start on. Let's say the visiting team won the coin toss and deferred. They will then line up to kick the ball, and they'll be called the kicking team for this play. The home team, known as the return team, will usually put their two fastest guys as kick returners in the backfield. The backfield's about the one-yard line to ten-yard line. The visiting team's kicker kicks the ball, and the kick returner catches the ball. He can either run until he is tackled, or he can wave an arm while the kick is still in the air, which signifies a fair catch. If a fair catch is called, the play is dead, no player can tackle the returner without a penalty, and the offense will start their drive on the 25-yard line or wherever the returner caught the ball if it's past that 25-yard line. When the returner chooses to run, the offense will start their drive where the returner gets tackled. If the ball goes out the back of the end zone or a player catches the ball in the end zone and kneels, it is called a touchback, and the offense will get to start their play at the 25-yard line. This is most common. 
Now let's go through an example of an offensive drive, which is the set of plays that either ends in a score or a punt back to the other team. Let's say there was a touchback. The offense will now start their drive at the 25-yard line, which for this play is called the line of scrimmage, and they will try to get 10 yards to the 35-yard line, which is now called the first down line. The offense has four chances to get the ball to the 35-yard line. First down. On first down, or the first play, the center will hike the ball back to the quarterback, and let's say the quarterback hands it to the running back, who runs five yards and gets tackled. Now the offense is on the 30-yard line and has three more chances to get the remaining five yards. The offense will then have 40 seconds to start their next play. Second down. The center hikes the ball to the quarterback, who looks to throw. The quarterback cannot cross the line of scrimmage, which is where that center just hiked the ball from, or that 30-yard line, and let's say the wide receiver catches the ball after advancing three yards. The offense is now on the 33-yard line, and it is third down. You'll hear this called third and two, which translates to it's third down with two yards to go before that first down. Third down. The center hikes the ball to the quarterback, who hands it to the running back again, who gains seven yards. You'll hear, first down, and the rest will move the chains to start the next set of downs. In this case, there will be no fourth down. The next set of downs will occur starting at the line of scrimmage where the running back was stopped, which was the 40-yard line in this example. Trust me, my math is right. And the new first down line will then become the 50. Every time the offense gets a first down, they get to stay on the field to keep trying to get that touchdown. That's why first downs are so celebrated. But let's say this one a different way. Let's go back to third down. The center hikes the ball to the quarterback, who gives it to the running back, who gets tackled immediately at the line of scrimmage, which again was the 33-yard line in this example. This means it is now fourth down with those two yards to go. This means the offense can either go for it on fourth down or punt it. In this case, most teams, as the offense, would punt the ball away. Why? Because even though they technically have one more chance, four downs, to get those two remaining yards, that fourth down will actually be used to get the ball as far away from their end zone as possible. If the offense doesn't get those two remaining yards that they needed, they forfeit the ball to the defense wherever they play stops. This is called a turnover on downs, which would be before the 35-yard line, which translates to the defense only having to go 35 yards to score a touchdown when the offense had to go 75. That doesn't seem fair, so they'll punt it away. After the offense punts the ball away, the team that was previously playing defense brings their offense onto the field, and we repeat. You can also lose the ball if a player drops the ball, which is called a fumble, or if the quarterback passes the ball and it gets caught by the defense instead, which is called an interception. In both cases, once the defensive player with the ball goes down, that team puts their offense on the field and the original offense is done. Play ultimately ends when the clock runs out at the end of the fourth quarter. At the end of every quarter, the teams switch sides of the field, kind of like tennis. And at the end of the second quarter, or the first half, play is stopped and teams go to a 20-minute halftime. This is usually your boyfriend's bathroom slash beer refuel break. It doesn't matter at the end of the first half, it doesn't matter what yard line either team was on. The second half will start with a kickoff 
just like the beginning of the game, to the team who didn't receive the first half. So I know I don't touch on defense very much, but their job is to stop touchdowns, field goals, and first downs, and it's a simple goal, but not an easy task. So a question I get a lot is, if it's four quarters of 15 minutes of playtime, how on earth does a football game take three plus hours? The short answer is there's a lot of stuff that stops the clock. After every play, the offense has 40 seconds in between to snap the ball on the next play. The game clock also stops briefly when the refs move the chains, so every time a team gets a first down. It starts again once the ref says the ball is ready and they blow the whistle. Pass plays also stop the clock if it's an incomplete or dropped pass. If the receiver catches the ball and starts running again and gets tackled in bounds, the clock will continue to run, however. Hashtag girlfriend hint in college football, a player has to get one foot in bounds to be considered a catch, and in the NFL, it's two. Run plays do not stop the clock unless the player goes out of bounds. So at the end of the game and their team wants to score again, running backs will make a point to try to get out of bounds instead of being tackled inside so they can conserve the clock. This is a major reason why close games take forever in the final minutes. If the running back's team is ahead, he'll avoid getting out of bounds before being tackled, so the clock will continue to run. Each team also has three timeouts per half. No, timeouts don't roll over to the second half, and timeouts always stop the clock. Another hashtag girlfriend hint, in the second half, coaches will save their timeouts to use at the end of the fourth quarter just to stop the clock. Sometimes they do this at the end of the second quarter as well. Okay, seriously, I know y'all have to be bored when talking about all this clock stuff, but knowing the intricacies of clock management is usually the difference between someone who really knows the game and someone who kind of understands the rules. You can certainly win some impressive girlfriend points by knowing what stops the clock. Okay, we are done with the basics. So now let's go over things you'll hear when talking or watching football. If a commentator says the offense is going to air it out, that means the offense is going to throw more and probably some deep balls. This should open up the defense. In contrast, if they say something along the lines of smash mouth football, it usually means the offense is going to run the ball a lot of the time straight up that middle and grind down on that defense. Specifically, Alabama is known for this. If you hear the power five, that means the top five conferences in the country. These are the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the ACC. Mostly the reason you'll hear this is because someone's complaining that one of the conferences is being left out of the final four for the college football playoff. And in recent history, most of the time it's been the Pac-12. So how to think of these conferences now? In recent history, the SEC is known for the grind type of football and good defense, whereas the Big 12 is known for that high-scoring offense. The Big 10 always has a top contender in the Final Four, and it's usually Ohio State, but a lot of their other teams are ranked in the top 25 as well. And the ACC is generally known to be a weaker conference for football, minus their highly prolific Clemson Tigers. Other conferences will be ranked in the top 25, like teams like UCF and Cincinnati, but think of them on the outside looking in as far as the college football playoff is concerned. 
If you hear the team is in the red zone, that means the last 20 yards before the end zone. So hashtag girlfriend hint to sound impressive here. If a team gets into the red zone, so those final 20 yards, but doesn't score a touchdown, say something like, you have to score every time you get in the red zone or we don't have a hope of winning this game. It's true. If a team has a three and out, that means that the offense ran three plays, but did not get a first down and is forced to punt. This can only happen on the first three plays of the drive, which means the team didn't previously get a first down. This is a good sign for the defense and a bad sign for the offense. The who's in advertisements you'll hear all over is referencing the top four teams that get picked at the end of the year by the college football playoff committee to play for the national championship. And unlike the game of soccer, football does not end in a tie. We take it to overtime. Overtime is where teams play an extra amount of time until a winner is decided. So I'm going to go ahead and reference y'all to the blog for this and how this all works because it gets very complicated, significantly different between the NFL and college football, and it changes frequently. All right, but if you're going to talk football, you need to know who the reigning champs are. So the reigning NFL Super Bowl champs of Super Bowl 54 were Kansas City Chiefs led by quarterback Patrick Mahomes and the reigning NCAA champions were the LSU Tigers, led by Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow. All right, all right. I know the real reason you're listening to this podcast. You want to know who's going to be good this year. You can bet money that Alabama and Clemson will be somewhere in the top 10. Because between these two teams, they've won four of the last five NCAA championships. And Alabama has the most of any school football championships with 12 in the recent poll era. The recent poll era means post-World War II. The preseason top 10 teams this year so far are Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Oregon, Oklahoma, Penn State, Florida, and Auburn, with Notre Dame looking in at number 11. That order can vary depending on where you look. Now, keep in mind that 48 teams at some point were ranked last year at any point during the season, and nine teams from the preseason poll didn't end up ranked at all by the end of the season, including preseason number 10, the University of Texas. So I tell you all this to say that preseason rankings can change dramatically, but those teams are usually somewhere in the top 25, but not always. So at this part of the podcast, I wanted to go over players to watch. However, with the uncertainty of the 2020 season, I didn't want to waste y'all's time because players change so frequently and fade in and out of being significant for their teams that I didn't want to waste y'all's time. So I thought a little bit better would be to give y'all the overview of some of the coaches you will hear in the news and how I like to remember them, because they will last a little longer than the players. So by far, one of the most talked about coaches in the league is Nick Saban of Alabama. And I think of him as the strict, grumpy dad who doesn't like to make nice with the media. In direct contrast is Dabo Sweeney of Clemson. He is basically considered the cool dad. 
Lincoln Riley is the head coach at Oklahoma, and he is more the cool, risky, older brother type. The reigning champs, LSU, is led by Coach O, and he's like your grandpa who lives in the swamp, who you sometimes can't really understand, but you still enjoy being around. Jim Harbaugh from Michigan is on the hot seat this season, so you should hear a lot about him. And all he wants to do is beat his older brother, which in his conference is Ohio State. Jimbo Fisher is the head coach of Texas A&M. I consider him to be the rich but creepy uncle because they paid him a lot of money to go coach there. James Franklin of Penn State is usually a contender, and I call him bald Lin-Manuel Miranda because I think they look very similar and could be brothers. And another guy you'll hear a lot about is Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State, but you'll mainly hear about his mullet. So like I said earlier in the podcast, college football usually starts the last weekend of August or the first week of September with about three to four weeks of pre-conference play. However, this year that may not be happening. Thanks, COVID. And it looks like the teams will play their own conferences this year and start in late September at this rate. So I know that'll change probably about 10 times between now and then. And at this point, we just need to hope that we have a football season. Before we go to dumb questions, I was asked by a coworker to explain some of the football positions as they can be a little confusing. So this list is not all inclusive, but this will give you a really nice overview of the main positions you'll hear. The center is the man in the middle or the center of the offensive line who has the ball before every play and hikes it back to the quarterback to start every play. A lineman can either be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman that line up on the line of scrimmage. These players are usually strong and big and they form a wall for their team. Hashtag girlfriend hint. If the quarterback keeps getting sacked, it's probably due to his offensive line, letting a guy through that wall. So you can say something along the lines of where is our O line on that note? The next position is quarterback. This player starts every play, calls the plays, and most of the time takes the snap. These players usually have a good throwing arm, need to be able to think on their feet, and is the position that's usually favored for the Heisman Trophy. Receivers are the players who catch the ball, and wide receivers are the players who line up on the outside of the formation when they run their routes. These players are very quick, have high verticals, and great hand-eye coordination. Hashtag girlfriend hint, routes are the planned path the player takes before catching the ball. Take that, Cam Newton, just another girl talking routes. A running back is the player that lines up near or behind the quarterback who most of the time runs when the football is handed to him. And because he runs a lot, he will have a high rushing yard stat. He can also block if it's a passing play or he can throw on trick plays. These players are usually fast, but have a little bit more mass than those wide receivers because they need to be able to run through tackles. The cornerback, or the corner for short, is the defensive player that covers the wide receivers and are usually used to break up passes and try to intercept balls. He is built along the same lines as that wide receiver. The linebackers are lined up behind the linemen, as backup support and is in charge of shadowing the running backs. A safety is the player who lines up as the last defensive player. 
Think of him as the final line of defense before a big breakout play and potentially a touchdown. And the final position I'll go over is the tight end. He's a combination between the running back and a lineman, and he usually blocks for the quarterback and receivers. But he can also take passes himself. And the most famous tight end you'll hear is probably Rob Gronkowski or Gronk, who used to be for the New England Patriots and is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Now on to my favorite part of the podcast, the dumb questions you don't want to ask your boyfriend about football. So these are actual questions that I have gotten from friends, coworkers, and some strangers on social media and my blog. So first question, my boyfriend gets really mad when he's losing money on football. How is he losing money and what is he betting on? So he can either be betting the line, aka the spread, or the over-under. The line is the amount a team is expected to win by and who the experts think should win. So let's go ahead and take the 2019 Oklahoma-Alabama Orange Bowl, for example. Again, I'm a Sooner, so of course it's a Sooner example. On opening day of betting, the line was plus 11 for the home team, which in this case was Alabama. So if you bet on Alabama in Las Vegas, you only win money if Alabama wins by more than 11 points. If Oklahoma wins or loses by less than 11, you lose money to the house. If you bet on Oklahoma, even if OU loses the game, as long as it's by less than 11, you win money. A smaller number on the line should mean a closer game. So if your man is getting nervous for the game on Saturday, that line should be a low number or you can ignore his nervousness. He could also bet on the over-under. This would be expressed as one total number. So sticking with our previous example, the OU Bama Orange Bowl, over-under opened at 79.5, which means the Las Vegas betting gods think that the combined score from both teams will be 79 points. If you take the over, you win money if the sum of the two teams' scores is 80 or more. If you take the under, you're hoping for a low-scoring game. Not really recommended in this case, as Oklahoma is known for its high-scoring offense and its extremely bad defense. Remember that if you bet the over-under, you really don't care if that score is 75-5 to or 41-39. to I know 75 to 5 is a boring game to watch, but you technically still get your money back. So, and actually, since I used an old example, I went ahead and looked up what the over under and the spread ended up being. And the over under was 79 exactly, and the spread was 11 points to Bama. So, good luck betting against Vegas in sports. Question two Why are there letters next to the Super Bowl logo? So those are Roman numerals, which indicate what Super Bowl we're on for this year. Organizers didn't want it to be confusing when a Super Bowl is played in a new year than the NFL season was originally played. So for example, this past Super Bowl represents the winners of their respective divisions after the 2019 season. But since it's played on the first weekend in February of 2020, you know, they don't want it to be like, do we call it 2020 Super Bowl or do we call it the 2019 Super Bowl? So to make things clear, we use Roman numerals and it's just Super Bowl 54. So this year was Super Bowl 54, which is 
represented by L-I-V. And hashtag girlfriend hint for trivia night. Super Bowl 50 was the only Super Bowl since we started using Roman numerals, which was Super Bowl V, that didn't use a Roman numeral with it because Super Bowl L was too unappealing for marketing purposes. Question three. When a yellow cloth thing is thrown, my husband always reacts. What is that? So that is the yellow flag, which signals that there was a penalty on the play. I'm not going to go ahead and get into those on this podcast because I could do an entire podcast on penalties alone. They're very intricate, a lot of the time different from the NFL to college, but I do have a post on it on my blog. So go ahead and reference that if you would like to do some further digging into penalties. Question four, what's the difference when I hear official review or a coach's challenge? So an official review is when the refs decide that the call on the field was questionable and they decide to make sure the call was right. Whereas a coach's challenge is when the coach of one team makes the ref look at the play again. And if the play is ruled what was called on the field, the coach's team who called the challenge loses a timeout and penalty. Question five, what's the difference between call stands and call confirmed? Great Question. Call confirmed means the referee and the replay booth have both verified the ruling on the field was actually correct. That means if your man was upset at the call, he has to get over it because he was wrong. And call stands means the call cannot be verified and could have gone either way. Whatever was called on the field takes precedence. So consider that like tie goes to the runner. Tie goes to the call that was on the field. So here you can expect your boyfriend will continue to fume over that call because it could have gone either way and was super close. And then you may ask, is he overreacting? You know, that depends. Football is a game of inches and sometimes big penalties can make or break a game. Question six, why are coaches covering their mouths when play calling and who are they talking to on their headsets? So coaches are usually talking to their offensive or defensive coordinators, depending on what side of the field their team is currently playing. And they are usually discussing the plays and they don't want the other team to see the play that they're calling. That's why they cover their mouths. You may be like, this seems a little extreme, but people have actually tried to read lips and videotape people to steal plays. There are some ridiculous stories over the years of stealing plays or tricks with leaving playbooks around. And here I'm going to leave a hashtag girlfriend hint. So for a funny playbook trick story, look up Mike Leach's time at OU. You can definitely drop that into a football conversation for some good laughs. Question seven, is there a difference between a punt and a kick in football? Absolutely, yes, and do not use the wrong one. Guys hate that. A punt is when the offense has exhausted their third of four downs and they decide to punt the ball away. A kick is when the offense has scored a touchdown or a field goal and they kick the ball back to the defense for their turn to score. So a simple way to remember this difference is if someone is holding the ball or a T is holding the ball, that is considered a kick Question eight, what is my boyfriend watching on Tuesday nights during football season? 
Most likely, it's the college football playoff committee selection show, which is when the top 25 ranked teams come out each week. The college football playoff system started in 2014, and it creates a one-loss knockout bracket for the four best teams in the country to play one another for a spot in the national championship game. The college football playoff is made up of 13 committee members, mostly athletic directors and former players or coaches, who all sit down in a room and discuss which team should be ranked what. It has a human aspect that the previous ranking system, which was called the BCS, just didn't have. This ranking system also holds precedent over all others, but it doesn't start until the beginning of November, so about week 11 of play. Being ranked in the top 25 is also a big deal. It not only means your team gets a number next to their name on TV, but it's a big honor because you can also be in the running for college game day, primetime games, better TV slots, and honestly, they get better recruits a lot of the time. Question nine, why does my boyfriend wake me up at 7 a.m. when the first games don't kick off until 11 a.m.? Oh, honey, he is waking up for college game day. This is a show on ESPN that changes cities each week and where a big game is taking place. It is a huge honor to be chosen. Think about it. Only 16 schools get picked all year. The ESPN game day crew conducts interviews, analyze what games are coming up, and then at the end picks the team they think will win the biggest games that week. And don't talk to him during the last few minutes of the show because Lee Corso always picks the game day game last with putting on the head of the mascot of the team he thinks will win. Is he always right? No, but it's still fun. Question 10. What's a blitz and why does my husband have to yell it at the TV? Please explain. A blitz is a defensive play when the defense rushes the passer with more than the usual number of players. So think about five or more. This is a higher risk defensive play due to the smaller number of players covering receivers. That usually leaves an open receiver somewhere. This can lead to big breakout plays or big sacks and losses. So that big reaction is usually justified. And last question, question 11. On a punt, I see a bunch of players dancing around the ball, letting it roll down the field. WTF is all that about. And I've gotten this question multiple times. So this only occurs when a ball is punted back to the defense after an unsuccessful drive and the receiving team calls a fair catch but chooses not to catch it. That ball is technically dead wherever it stops. So if the receiving team lets the ball hit the ground, the kicking team can let it roll as long as they want and pick it up. And when wherever they pick it up, that's where the offense has to start their play. So if your team kicked the ball and the other team called a fair catch, you want that ball as close to their end zone as possible because that means they'll have longer to go before scoring a touchdown. I do get a lot of questions about fantasy football, but there is not enough time for me to explain all of that. But I do have a blog post on it. If you want more information, just know that you need to be out of the way and not distracting your man on draft night, which is when he picks his players that he wants on his team. If you hear him yelling in joy or frustration, just keep in mind that according to Fox Business, fantasy football in 2018 was a $7 billion industry. 
Well, great. That about wraps it up for me. So I hope I didn't bore y'all too much because I know I covered the super basic to very specific. So please feel free to contact me by either getting in touch with our DG sisters in charge of this podcast, or you can always go through my blog, The Girlfriend's Guide to Sports. I am always happy to talk sports with anyone who wants to with me. Remember to stay safe during this pandemic and hopefully football season will start soon. Boomer sooner. Thank you for listening to this episode of DG Talks. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook at Delta Gamma. 